0: Our scripture today comes from Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Let them not feed or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out muddily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: If you, as you are here this morning, think back on this past week or this past semester and you think, wow, I wish I would have done things differently, then this sermon is going to resonate with you. If, as you were here this morning, there is a broken record of past sin or failure that plays back through your mind, and the more you try to ignore it, the louder it gets, the more you try to forget it, uh, the more you remember, then uh, you're in the right place. This is a sermon you need to hear. If you know anything about the story of Jonah, or if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, Jonah shows up uh, in the, the Old Testament uh, not under good uh, situation. God told him to go to Nineveh, which was by land. He rather uh, headed to, uh, uh, the t- different direction on the Mediterranean Sea. And as he headed that way, God brought up a storm. Jonah became in trouble. Uh, he was sleeping. He was running. They're throwing everything overboard on this ship. Jonah doesn't even seem to care. They finally come and wake him up. When they do, uh, they, they wake him. He says, it's me. I'm running from God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. Uh, that freaks them out a bit. And when it does, he says, throw me overboard. He's drowning in the sea when God sends a fish that actually rescues him rather than kills him. The fish gulps him up. He's there for three days and three nights, spits him out on the shore, and he heads toward Nineveh. This is Jonah the runner. Uh, This is Jonah the sleeper. This is Jonah who's going away from God, not headed toward God. But chapter 3, verse 1, is remarkable, and you shouldn't miss it. I love it. In that, uh, this phrase appears. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad for the God of second chances? Aren't you glad that God is not a one and done God, that when you blow it, he doesn't discard you, he doesn't set you aside. In chapter three, we discover a God who comes back to the same prophet, who ran from the call, who went down, down, down as he was running, God comes back to that same guy and says, here, Let's try this again. So if you're here this morning and you need a redo, this message is for you. Probably what's more astounding is that God would want to come uh, to the Ninevites. They are a people who have never known him, who have lived lives of dishonor and disgrace, and God is sending Jonah to them. In this, we discover what uh, Robert McGee in his work, Search for Freedom, calls the process of cropping sin out of your life. If you take a picture and it has stuff in it you don't want or need, you crop those things out. And so Robert McGee gives this acronym, CROP, and says this is the way to get rid of sin. And we're going to talk about that this morning with uh, the Ninevites as our living, breathing example of how to do that. If you sit here this morning and you battle with recurring sin, Meaning uh, a sin that you stumble over again and again and again. Uh, Here is a biblical, uh, logical, methodical way to deal with sin in your life. Uh, What happens? Jonah, uh, in chapter, in verse 2, God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Just like he told him before. Verse 3, Jonah got it right this time. So Jonah rose. God said, go, Jonah went. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Uh, Scholars disagree, uh, they can't quite settle on exactly how large Nineveh was. Uh, you see, some say three days journey, and they uh, they make that equivalent to about three miles uh, across the city, maybe about three miles square. Others take the Roman measurement for how long it took to trek a day, which was, uh, which was uh, 17 miles someone could go in a day and look at some ruins and say, there appear to be remnants of two walls that were 51 or so miles in length, and six miles uh, across so that this city could have been 51 by six miles. This is a ma- that would be a massive city. Uh, perhaps what you have is Nineveh Central, much like New York City today, and then all the boroughs around New York City that make it a 20 million, uh, uh, 21 million uh, uh, inhabited place. Nineveh as, was massive. Jonah gets there, he treks across, it's a super short sermon, yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, what you've got to understand, too, these aren't worshiping people. They don't know who Jonah is. He has no advanced credibility with them. But look at verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Fastened, they didn't eat. Sackcloth was rough material against the skin that would hurt and remind you of the sin. The word gets to the king. He arose from his throne, removed his uh, royal robes, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he proclaimed that everybody was to do it. No one would eat, not even the animals. Why? They believed Jonah. Step one in cropping sin out of your life, C-R-O-P, is confession. Confession you must agree that your sin is indeed sin. You must agree with God or with the sermon or with the friend or with the family member or with the song. However it is that sin uh, comes to your attention, you must agree. That's what the word confess means. To agree with uh, the king The people, both small and great, agreed with God that their sin was sin and separated them from him. That is the first step in getting rid of sin in your life. What does confession look like? Let me give you an example of it. A rather profound one. Marty Stroud III is his name. He is an attorney in Shreveport, Louisiana. Stroud was a prosecutor in 1984 when a man by the name of Glenn Ford was brought to his uh, attention through being accused of murder. And so Glenn Ford came forward, uh, Stroud was the prosecutor, and sure enough, Ford was convicted of murder, sent away for life, uh, or actually to death row. That was 1984. March of 2014, the state, uh, through revisiting uh, Ford's case, discovered he wasn't guilty at all. And they set him free. He had been accused of killing a jeweler, a local jeweler in Shreveport. And, and they discovered he wasn't guilty. He spent 30 years of his life in prison for a crime he did not commit. It was one year later, March of 2015, that Stroud wrote this letter to the Shreveport Times. He says, in 1984, I was 33 years old. I was arrogant, judgmental, narcissistic, and very full of myself. I was not as interested in justice as I was in winning. To borrow a phrase from Al Pacino in the movie Injustice for All, winning became everything. After the death verdict in the Ford trial, I went out with others and celebrated with a few rounds of drinks. That's sick. I've been entrusted with the duty to seek the death of a fellow human being, a very solemn task that certainly did not warrant any celebration. He says, in my rebuttal argument, during the penalty phase of the trial, I mocked Mr. Ford, stating that this man wanted to stay alive so he could be given the opportunity to prove his innocence. I continued by saying this should be an affront to each of you jurors, for he showed no remorse, only contempt for your verdict. How totally wrong was I? I speak only for me and no one else. I apologize to Glenn Ford for all the misery I have caused him and his family. I apologize to the family of Mr. Roseman, that's the gentleman who was killed, for giving them the false hope of some closure. I apologize to the members of the jury for not having all of the story that should have been disclosed to them. I apologize to the court and not having been more diligent in my duty to ensure that proper disclosures of any uh, exculpatory evidence have been provided to the defense. He says, looking back at that period in my life, I was not a very nice person. And I had no business trying a death case for the state My unintended victim, Glenn Ford. I end with the hope that Providence will have more mercy for me than I showed Glenn Ford, but I am also sobered by the realization that I certainly am not deserving of it. That's confession. That's what confession looks like. When you confess your sin, you own it, there's no blame. There's no shifting of the spotlight on others. You you own it. You you say, I did it. It's hard to come by these days. It isn't popular for anyone to stand up and say, I was wrong. Uh, If you are going to eradicate any sin in your life, that is your beginning point. You will not overcome sin until you confess it. Uh, What follows that? It's a term that many of you familiar with, repent. The king uh, aptly said, let every man turn from his evil way. The king called it an evil way, that's confession. And he said, let every man turn from it repentance is the negative side of life change I have never in my life repented from sin and enjoyed it and as I've sat with people who have repented from sin they're in repentance none of them did it with a smile on their face Nobody walks glibly through repentance. It is painful. It is hard. Repentance, the very word, means a change of mind and a change of direction. So if this represents sin right here, repentance is negative. It's turning your back on it and turning yourself toward God. We'll get to that step in a moment. Repentance is turning away from sin. And it isn't fun and it isn't pleasant. The king says, turn away from his evil way and all the violence that is in your hands. What is he talking about? Two kinds of violence. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. Assyria, a merciless country that would take uh, prisoners of war and torture them, uh, known for their gruesome way of fighting. But also cities breed uh, violence just in cities. They still do today. Gangs, other people who go after one another. No doubt Nineveh was characterized as a massive city by personal uh, violence on another human being. And the king says it has to end. Uh, That is called repentance. To turn from whatever it is that you're doing. Many of you are familiar with the story that Luke writes in uh, chapter 15 of his work where he talks about a boy. A boy who went to his dad and said, dad, I want everything I've got coming to me. Uh, Give me your inheritance, my inheritance now. Yes, you're still alive. And yes, I should be working for you, but I want what you have uh, coming to me. And so uh, the dad gave the boy uh, all of his inheritance. And as Luke tells the story, the boy skips town, uh, takes all the money, goes to another place, and wastes it in wild and raucous living. He wastes it. Well, in that kind of lifestyle, when the money runs out, the friends do too. And so the boy finds himself, uh, this young man with no friends and homeless he is so bad, and this is terrible for a Jew, that he is living in the pig pen with the pigs. He's got pigsty, slop, all over him. And Luke uh, 15, verse 17 says this. But when he came to himself, if you have ever changed, that time happened for you. At some point in your sin, you came to yourself. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Repentance is getting up out of the pigsty, out of the out of the mud out of the mire and walking away it means quitting whatever it is you're doing If you're an alcoholic, you drink no more. If pornography is your addiction, you filter the computer. You cut off the opportunity to indulge yourself in that sin. If it's workaholism, you adjust your schedule so that work does not dominate your life. Whatever the sin is, repentance is looking at the sin, turning your back on the sin and walking away. You can't do that unless you admit it's sin and then you repent, you turn from it. That's the negative side. Here's what I've discovered is that most people stop there. You think, okay, my work is done. And do you know what happens when you confess your sin, you admit your sin, you turn your back on it. So you confess and you repent. If you don't take step three, you will often find yourself right back in the sin. Just it's human nature to wander, isn't it? And you'll wonder right back. Well, what is step three? Obey God. If you're going to crop sin out of your life, you confess it You repent of it. Now we're narrowing in. We're getting all the extraneous material out, right? We're narrowing in. We've got this big thing. Confession moves in the cropping tool. And repentance moves it in a little farther. And now we're going to zero in with obedience. Uh, Obedience is the positive side of the negative aspect of repentance. Repentance is what you don't do. Obedience is what you do. Joel 2, he gives a great picture of this. Return to the Lord, yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Obedience is coming to the Lord with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for why he is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. All right, so here's something I need to correct in some of your thinking. You read the Old Testament, you see where God wipes out a whole group of people for blowing it, and you have this thought in your head, God is waiting to pounce on me. But he isn't. Why? In the Old Testament, when God judged, he warned and warned and warned and warned and warned. Go read it. As a matter of fact, I'll do a blog on this tomorrow. Uh, there's a phrase in here that when you read it, it's captivating. It's in Jonah's sermon. It's grace-saturated. What is it? Yet 40 days. Has it ever occurred to you why God gave them 40 days? Why, why not 40 minutes? Right? Why? Why, God, would you give 40 days? Because he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He, he gave them this pagan, ungodly people, 40 days to turn to him wow why let me ask you why do you run from a God like that why do you stiff arm him why I think some of you misunderstand him I really do Say, Jerry, how, how do we see that? That's so Old Testament. All right, Luke 15 boy runs home, right? Some have said, I agree, commentators, that that story, rather than being called uh, the prodigal son, should be called the waiting father. Where is he? Is he partying? No, the partying has been put on hold. He's, he's looking. Do you wonder if this dad sat on his front porch of that massive home, he was quite wealthy, and looked down that road day in and day out and thought, will this be the day? Will will he come home today? Another day passes, he goes to bed, cries himself to sleep. Next day, gets up, attends to the business of this massive farm, sits out there and looks. Will he see the shadow of the son who's wasted everything he's given him? And one day, he sees something. You see, my son plays sports And I know his gait. There can be all kinds of guys on the football field. They wear all the same uh, color jerseys and pants. It may be hard to see. But I know the way my son walks. Amongst all of them, I can tell who Trent is. Dad looks down the road and he sees his boy. And when he does... What does he do? He he does something that no Jewish man of any worth ever did. He ran. It was undignified, uncalled for, unwarranted. Don't. Do that to yourself, we might say. Look what your boy has done. How dare you run down the road when he's coming home? But this dad gets up and overcome with emotion and love for that boy who wasted every single thing he worked hard to give him. He runs and meets him, embraces him, pigsty and all. There is no ring on his finger. He must have pawned it off. There are no shoes on his feet. He must almost be naked because the dad calls for the servants and says, bring a ring, bring some shoes, get some clothes, let's dress this boy. Go get the fattened calf. Don't miss that. This calf reserved for such a day when the boy would come home and they would celebrate the son who was lost but now is found. The son who left but now has come home. This dad is thrilled. How much more in light of the cross. How much more in light of a God who gave his only son that you would have life. How much more is he thrilled when after you've blown it, he he sees you coming down the road and he runs to you. Amen? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Obedience is the positive side of repentance. You've blown it, yes. You confess that, you own it. You turn from it, and then in obedience, you turn toward a God. How does it practically, Paul spells it out in Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, that's repentance. Let each one of you speak the truth, that's obedience. Obedience is the right thing you do instead of the wrong thing, all right? And you will never fully be done with sin in your life until you obey. Be angry and do not sin, Paul goes on to say. I love this. Let the thief no longer steal. That's repentance, right? That's negative. Don't do that anymore. But rather, let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he can share. The thief goes from stealing to sharing. Repentance is I don't steal anymore. Obedience is I work and I give. Do you see that? That's what God is about. Life change. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, You don't tear people down anymore. That's repentance. You build them up. That's obedience. Wow. Apply that in your marriage and you'll watch this love begin to grow. Don't tear down, rather you build up. Do not grieve the spirit of God by whom you were sealed. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. That's negative, all right? So get rid of the raunchy, bitter, nobody can stand you attitude, right? What do you do instead? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's obedience. There must be something that replaces what you once did. For every sin, there is an equal and opposite act of obedience. So you obey. How does this practically look? If you're an alcoholic, you quit drinking and instead you take care of your body, you get in shape. If you're addicted to pornography, you quit it, but instead you love your wife. You you demonstrate that love to her in all the appropriate and right ways. You see, that's repentance. That's obedience. Negative, crying, sad, uh, disgusted with oneself, Happy, beginning to adjust, grace, receive mercy, uh, feel loved, embraced here, so where does that lead? Uh, I love verse ten, when God saw what they did, God was watching, he had his uh, his eye on Nineveh, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, confess, repent, obey, God relented of the disaster he said he would do. And he didn't do it. What is the P? Praise. Praise is the natural result of someone who has dealt with sin in his or her life. If you've truly been born again and you've truly dealt with sin, you want to sing about it. You do. All of a sudden you'll find yourself headed down the road and a song comes to mind and enjoy. You'll sing that song. You want to worship. There's something about you that wants to be with the people of God. Shame is no longer a factor for you. There's a joy, this exuberance that comes from someone who now walks with God. And that's how we're going to close today. We're going to close by praising. Now, I know that the Spirit has brought specific sin to your heart. I know that. Not all of you, but perhaps many of you. So while Dave plays, would you bow your head for a moment? If he has, confess it now. 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 Confess it to him. Agree with him that it is sin.